What triggered this bizarre behavior? Journey into the cold heart of northern darkness with Nordic crimes. That case uh, became like a scene from a horror movie. A new true crime documentary series that chilled the bone. The hunger for killing is increasing in the course of these homicides. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nordic Crimes is a part of the Acast family. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I got a, my cookbook's going to be printed and published here the next week or so. Oh, you're, you're just full of surprises, Mr. Duke. You really are. I know in Tony's head, he always thought if, if he could get a get a big trophy deer, his dad would love him. Did he photograph the evidence when he found it? No, it, no, he didn't photograph it, nothing. I'm then able to create an interview and question him as to we found these casings in your back garden. Can you explain how they got there? To do it all then and there and completely wrong. Didn't want him to get in trouble and for people to think that he was killed over a drug deal gone bad. But why wouldn't they want people to think that? I don't know, but I can speculate. Yeah, it just doesn't add up to me. You know, because I've been a deputy for 22 years, and, you know, and just seemed it odd to me. But, yeah, this is not Tony, you know. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part six of my chat with Anthony Duke, the man sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for the murder of Ronald Hauser, a crime he's always maintained he's innocent of. Today will be the last in the Tony Duke story for now, as I continue to chase leads and information behind the scenes. In the past couple of months, the topic of TV and movies and how they depict prisons has come up a fair amount. I've been invited on shows to discuss this very topic, as well as having our own discussion on it recently. When talking to Tony the other evening, I brought up the subject with him. I asked if he's ever watched any of these shows that depict life in prison and what he thinks of them. As always, Tony then went on to describe a world in which I don't think most people think about when watching these shows. For us, in the world out here, this is just entertainment. But in reality, it's a cold, harsh world for the people actually living it. I've seen some, but 
I mean, I, I'm not going to watch something I live every day. Yeah. Uh, and it's everything and more that you see. I mean, some people, this is all they ever had and ever will have. They live better in here than they ever did or would in the world. Yeah. And it's no different than what goes on out there. It's a world within a world. Mm. The same things happen in here that happen out there. We need to stick thousands of people in a small vicinity. There's a lot that goes on. Mm. But for the most part, a lot of people try to make the best of it and live as comfortably as they can. They indulge in covering up the truth of the matter, which is we're all going through a little bit of pain and suffering, no matter how big or small you are or how tough and gangster-like one may think they are. Everybody has their own little things they go through. I remember when I first came to prison, I, I, I seen guys come to mail call every day, hoping, hopeful to get a letter, and these are lifers, and they wouldn't get a letter, and then they'd be down and depressed the rest of the day. And then the next day, they'd run around waiting for mail, waiting for mail, and not get a letter. And it was sad to see them, but they had hope every day for something. And then they got crushed, and then they woke up with new hope, knowing that's all they, you know, they don't have nothing, nothing. They're just hoping on that one little word from somebody who might care. Yeah, a bit of a connection to outside those walls. Right, you know, which is great. It's awesome to have something like that, you know. But then when you don't have it, yeah, you go, yes. like me, it's kind of best that I, you know, it's best you don't have it, because then you don't know what you're not missing. Um, but... It's far from a glory camp. The truth of the matter is, is no, that some people will admit that they belong in here or they live better in here and they don't want to go out there. Some people will lie and say that they can go out there and live better, but they know they'll be right back or end up dead. <clears throat> people are just surviving, getting through the day the best they can. Some struggle more than others. You need to look, people need to look at it as a time for restoration, a time to grow your mind, your body, and your spirituality. You know, you need to have a renewing, a full renewing of your mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. Because you're in prison for a reason. Whatever you're in prison for, whether you did it or not, God allowed certain things to happen where you ended up in prison to learn a lesson, to do something other than what it is that you were doing. Because whatever you were doing out in, before prison wasn't working was going to lead to something far worse. So we as prisoners need to realize that. You can't do the same things in here you were doing out there. Because if the day comes when you get out, you're going to wind up back in here or worse. But if you take this time and you utilize it to grow your mind, to grow your body, you can become a way better person, not only for yourself, but your loved ones whatever future you may desire or have waiting for you and people lose hope which i've done but uh you know also the f first time i was in prison i i used that time and i kept my nose in books and i worked out i keep my nose in books this time more so i'm just trying to be ready and prepared for whatever comes
So before we get back into Tony's trial, I need to cover off on something we discussed in a previous episode. Detectives claimed that the murder weapon they believed was used to kill Ron was a gun that Tony took from his friend Michelle. Michelle did testify on the stand that Tony borrowed her weapon to go hunting on a few occasions, but he did return this weapon to her before Christmas. However, when detectives arrived at Michelle's property to inquire about the weapon, she said she'd been unable to locate it. She then, on the advice from detectives, reported it stolen. Tony has told us that the weapon he borrowed from Michelle was altered. He says he arrived at Michelle's home one day to find that the gun was being made into a sawn-off shotgun, which is a federal offence and comes with it quite a hefty prison sentence. He said he believes this is why his friend told police she was unable to locate it. He had a, a kit to transform the shotgun and put a pistol grip on it, and he was literally sawing off the end of the barrel. I just shook my head in disbelief and told her, that, you know, that's a federal offence. And she said that it was more convenient for her to have that like that for safety reasons. It's quicker and easier to move and maneuver. And she was excited and happy. She's like, I'm sorry, you can't hunt with it no more. She's like, but, you know, safety's everything. I'm like, I, I'm not mad at you, you know. And I left. Now, I did contact Michelle and left my details so that if she wanted to comment on this, I would of course give her the opportunity to do so. Well, she has been in touch and she has written a response which she has told me I am able to read on this show. So here it is. As for the shotgun stolen from my home, it was a 12-gauge Mossberg with a scope. It was the shotgun Tony Duke would borrow and hunt with from time to time over a span of quite a few years. While he was in prison the first time, I acquired a second 12-gauge Mossberg with a pistol grip from a friend. That Mossberg's barrel was not sawed off, and the police officers examined it in March of 2012, noting it was not the weapon used in the murder, as it has a smooth barrel, not a rifled barrel, like the missing Mossberg. This weapon was presented to and examined by officers, and left with me, therefore proving it was a legal firearm to own. I had to report the missing Mossberg stolen because it was missing from my house. It was explained as standard procedure since I never lent it out to anyone after loaning it to Tony and him returning it prior to Christmas of 2011. But then it went missing. So during Tony's trial, the focus really for motive, as the prosecution would state, was money. They believed that Tony had killed Ron for the cash that friends and family would suggest he carried around with him. As we've heard through these episodes from multiple people, Tony was known as a hard-working guy, and he was apparently making headway and getting his own business up and running. Here's Tony's mum. Tony, um... I mean, you've got to remember, he was 20, 21 years old back then, 21 years old. And he had his own pickups, he had his own plow trucks, his own lawnmowers, his own uh, salt spreaders. All of this stuff is all junk that he had just gotten. And But the county, he got a contract with the county, and they, they gave him all the handicapped senior citizens and, and meant, you know, people that need help. And so he would work for the county and go take care of their driveways and their lawns and everything and they loved him they gave him two more counties 
this kid's 21 years old and you have three counties um, that you're working for for the state in the county. I mean, he, he was doing good. And uh, in true narcissistic fashion, somebody was jealous. So the prosecution would have a number of people testify that they believed Tony to be struggling with money around the time of Ron's murder, including Tony's father. Of course, we already know that Tony's father became very vocal about his concerns around some of his son's actions at the time of the murder and after. Let's not forget, this man is not Tony's biological father, but his adopted father. In fact, reading an article from the time of the trial, it's even noted in there how Mr Duke, Tony's adopted father, did not refer to Tony as his son, but as Anthony. However, when referring to his other child, he would say, my son. Tony's adopted father would tell police and the court that he was concerned over his son's spending around the time of the murder, as he believed him to be struggling with money. Here's Tony on that. It says here, it it was saying that... um, a few people had mentioned that you know you were, you and your partner at the time were apparently tight for money, um, and your father had indicated that you'd spent a bit of cash recently, indicating you you, you bought um, you paid one hundred and forty dollars for a hotel room on December thirty first, uh, and then in the early part of twenty twelve, you gave fi- uh, six hundred and fifty dollars to a friend. And purchased an expensive, they say, commercial lawnmower, truck, and an air compressor. Yeah. So they're saying that, obviously, I mean, that that's where they're inferring that, well, you didn't have any money, so how are you buying this stuff? Do your friends and family know what you have in your savings account? No, absolutely not. Do you walk around flaunting that you have money? No. You go around saying that you're broke? Or that you have money, you know, you... Yeah, I get what you're saying. My whole life I grew up living in seasons, as you may have been able to know. I'm an avid hunter. I yeah. was an avid hunter. Yeah. Hunting seasons, October 1st to January 1st here, from what I learned from my father, is we hunt. So we work all year long so that we don't have to work during hunting season. In order for you to hunt 90 days out of the year, you have to be able to have accumulated some savings in order to do such a thing. Mm-hmm. As well as working seasonal jobs, you don't work as much in the winter months, mm. only when it snows. But mm. it's very seldom sometimes, so you still have to have something to fall on. So just because someone doesn't work doesn't mean that they don't have something saved up. And the what the air compressor that they're talking about was put on a, a company card from Home Depot the lawnmower part of that was put on a company card so they just want to speculate Mm -hmm. because I did some time in prison and I came home did what I know how to do earn money and care for those that I I love it's not very difficult to become a part of society and do what everyday working people do but people like to look just I don't I don't know how to I don't, they're, they're mad when they see that you make more money than them and you have a, a background that they don't have and yeah. it's different so that you should be yeah. separated. So also played in court during Tony's trial 
It was audio from phone calls made by Tony from jail to his girlfriend at the time, Ashley. In the calls, Tony apparently says to Ashley, I hope you know I was home that night. This is something I brought up with Tony, and he was very matter-of-fact about it. The question around where they say that you said, I hope you know that I was home on December 30, was that something you said? Or was yeah, that's something I said. hope not that I was home because she said that I, she went to sleep. Yeah. And don't know what I did after that. So this, in my opinion, is a classic example of a piece of circumstantial evidence that the jury really needs to make their own mind up about. Now, I don't have access to this recording, so it makes it even harder still to draw any form of opinion on this. But let's look at it from both sides. From the prosecution's standpoint, it's simple. They say it shows the desperation of a guilty man calling his girlfriend to make sure she's going to back up his alibi. I hope you know I was home that night. Now, from Tony's perspective, it was him calling his girlfriend, who in his mind, as we have already heard, was looking to get herself out of some trouble and was looking to back up detectives in order to do that. So this call could have simply been a straightforward situation of, look, I hope you know I was home that night. Like, you know, I was there. I hope you're going to tell them that. Again, these are all assumptions. No one truly knows, apart from Tony and Ashley, which one of these was the case. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, it's time for the closing arguments of Tony's trial. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, after 24 episodes, you can probably recite my next words. Thank you so much for all your support, as always. We've hit over 500 ratings and reviews online for this show, and there are just so many amazing comments, so thank you. Big thank you to everyone in our closed Facebook group for all your support and constantly getting involved with this show. You can find that right now. Just search One Minute Remaining on Facebook. Also, now is my opportunity to thank the One Minute Remaining Patreons who support this show each month and by doing so get access to some great extras, including our special One Sip Remaining Evenings hosted by myself where we get together, 
have a cheeky drink and discuss the cases, as well as welcoming special guests from time to time, including former police officer and my brother, Oliver Lawrence, who shared some amazing stories with us from his time as a police officer in remote communities of Australia. We had one young man who we needed to arrest for just, he was just causing an absolute disturbance like no other in the community and he had a jerry can of fuel and lighter was running at me trying to cover me in the fuel and and light us on fire so i pulled my firearm out for the first time and had picked a rock on the ground and if that was my threshold which was literally only a couple of feet in front of me i thought myself if he crosses that threshold that's it for me like that'll be end game and uh, thank goodness for me literally about half two three foot away from this bloody rock he dropped everything and uh, I think at that point he'd actually seen that I had guns drawn, and so did my colleague. And he just went the other way and ran off. So we chased him and arrested him. But and that's when my that, that was the first moment I thought I could make life changing decisions here. Um, and it really made me kind of think hard about the responsibility I had. To become a supporter of the show, just follow the link in the show notes below. And a special shout out this week to just a few of our Omar supporters. Jeremy Muller, Jess Leaf, Trent Harvey, Charlotte, Fiona McKenzie, Melissa Clayton, JD, uh, Lorraine, we've got Dimity, Joe, Carla, Daniela, Michelle, Brett, Linda, Gabriella. You are all incredible and I appreciate every single one of you. Thank you so much indeed for all of you who support this show. And a very special shout out to our Patreon members. So, after a number of witnesses get up and testify against Tony, the prosecution rests its case. It's time for the closing arguments. We've all seen them on TV shows before. It's time for each attorney to get up and give their final pitch to the men and women of the jury who will ultimately make the decision of innocence or guilt. I can't even begin to imagine the tension that would be in that room. The courtroom, so quiet, you could hear a pin drop. The pressure on the attorney from either side. It's their last opportunity to give their closing argument as to why this man is innocent or guilty. In part of his closing statement, Tony's defence attorney said that there is, and I quote, remarkably little evidence in this case, and the jury should not assume that Tony Duke is guilty, as the police mistakenly concluded during their investigation. He says they made assumptions too early and they're asking you to do the same. I'm begging you not to. He would also state that among many assumptions made by detectives was Mr Hauser's time of death, which, as we know, was determined by the fact that Mr Hauser's watch had apparently stopped at 9.26pm, detectives claiming this had happened as he fell from being shot. He would also state that despite the fact that it was rainy and snowing on that day, there was not even footprint evidence found at the crime scene. No DNA belonging to Tony was at the scene itself, even on some cigarette butts that were found. Nor any fingerprints of Tony's at the scene. In fact, any prints that were found at the scene, most notably of course on the bag of marijuana or on some beer cans, did not belong to Tony at all. He also stated that there was absolutely no evidence that Ron had cash in that home, except, of course, for the $407 in a lockbox, which was recovered by police. Even Ron's brother testified to the fact that he did not know where his brother kept his money. The prosecution, in his closing arguments, told the jury that circumstantial evidence pointed to one person and one person only, Anthony Duke. He asked the men and women of the jury... Why else would Tony Duke lie to police, not give them the Mossberg shotgun he favoured and 
look up information on how to beat a polygraph. He would counter Tony's defence attorney's claims of assumptions by saying that detectives had no reason to make assumptions and that they, however, investigated every lead and spoke to every potential suspect. But again, the evidence led to one person and one person alone, Anthony Duke. Now, as we know, a palm print was found on a bag of marijuana at the scene. To this, the prosecution's attorney stated, We know nothing of the palm print. That tells you nothing. It doesn't tell you it was placed there during the crime or at any point that day. He also stated regarding DNA evidence, and I quote, DNA doesn't tell you anything in this case. What does he mean the palm print tells you nothing? I mean, it was a palm print that didn't belong to you, it didn't belong to Ron. So, as far as I can... Because it's beneficial to me, you know. That's why they, they, they're going to say what they want to say to make it look good. They're the authoritative figure, so it's look at me what I say goes, you know. And you can sure as hell guarantee that if that palm print had been yours, then I guarantee you they would have been saying that it tells you everything. It tells you that Mr Duke was at the crime scene. It would have been oh, a completely different definitely. story. The men and women of the jury would then retire to make their decision. They would deliberate on this case for 13 hours, over three days before returning their verdict at 11.46am on Thursday morning. The men and women of the jury walked into the courtroom. All rise. Anthony Sean Duke sitting there charged with first-degree premeditated murder. The jury returned a guilty verdict. However, the verdict was on the lesser charge of second-degree murder, an option Tony told the court he did not want considered. However, the judge did state that it was appropriate to be included on this verdict form. Here's Tony on how he felt after receiving that verdict. One thing we haven't spoken about is when the the decision was handed down or when they came back saying guilty. Um, What goes through your head when you hear that that verdict? Just let everybody down. Everybody counted on me. I was leaving them, taken away from them. But you want to know what hurt me the most was watching what my dad did on that stand and coming to know everything, that hurt me worse than being found guilty because in my eyes I was sitting there for him because they wanted him in that seat. And to watch him do that and hear what my little brother had to say, honestly, none of it mattered after that. Uh, It really didn't. So would it be it'd be fair to say that you were, you were resentful of your father for a long time? I can't say resentful. I was just crushed. Yeah. I couldn't see the truth of what was being said and done. And to see an outside view of the reality I lived knew not to be the truth to be the truth messed me up. Uh, yeah. So you, much like I, might be sitting there wondering what is the difference between first and second degree murder. Now, at findlaw.com, they say the difference between first and second degree murder is the intent or mindset the defendant had when they took the action they did. First degree murder requires that a person, called the defendant, of course, Tony Duke in this case, 
plans and intentionally carries out the killing. In contrast to that, second-degree murder requires that the killing either be intentional or reckless and occur in the spur of the moment. Taking the time to plan another person's death is arguably a more serious crime, hence the first-degree murder. So essentially what the jury is saying here when they come back with a verdict of guilty of second-degree murder as opposed to first-degree murder is that they don't believe this was a planned-out and intentional killing by Mr Duke, however more of a reckless spur-of-the-moment killing. How they come to that verdict, only the jury knows. Upon sentencing day, there was an opportunity for the victim's family to get up and make a statement, to which they did. Now, I have listened to the statement made by Ron's mother, who talks of how much pain their family has gone through due to the loss of their son. I am always very mindful of the victims, and of course their families in these stories. There are no winners from these situations, least of all the people left behind. I will not be playing the statement in this show, as I don't feel it appropriate to do so. However, Ron's mother did address Tony at the end of her statement to say that he would have to live with what he had done for the rest of his life, if in fact he was even sorry for what he had done. Tony also got the opportunity to speak that day at his sentencing hearing. Seated in the courtroom, a much younger-looking, baby-faced Anthony Duke, who was swamped by his orange jumpsuit, stands to address the court and turns to Ron's family, who are seated in the courtroom. I'd like to address the family. Well, I, I am truly sorry about your guys' loss. Ron was a friend of mine, a boss, and like his brother. You know, I feel you guys' pain just as the next person. Dave, Ag, Steve, Ken, and Mike, I'm innocent. Ron was and still is the only man that I've ever respected. Because when I was doing something wrong, hands down, he'd tell you, Tony Duke, enough of that bullshit. Move on. You guys know how long I was. Well, I wanted to, you know, I'm still his friend. And a lot of the family I grew up with, like family. Yeah. Going on vacations to the sand dunes, weekends at the racetrack, barbecues, graduations. Uh, there's a handful of them that we all came up in school together. And played sports together you know it wasn't no one won that day no or throughout that whole thing i lost my life they lost family member we all lost a friend there you know i'm i'm sad that what happened to him happened i wish we could figure out what happened and who did it but i still wanted them to know that you know that i'm on their side you know that want justice too Here's journalist Lisa Roos Church, who was actually present in the courtroom that day. If I do recall correctly, when he stood up in court, I vaguely remember him actually turning to the family and addressing his apology directly to them, mm-hmm. which leads credence to sincerity. Yeah. But again, some people can do that when in fact, They've just bludgeoned to death somebody. Now, I do know that if Mr. Duke is telling you 
that the cops planted the evidence or that the cops lied, um, that he's innocent, then I can tell you that the details from what you that you've shared are similar to what he maintained at that time. Yeah, so he's not changing. And I his suppose story. given the time frame and the way stories can change, I can see why that would lead one to believe he's being sincere. But again, if you tell yourself that so often you can begin to believe your oh, lies. Oh, absolutely. But I do see that he is, I mean, he is, I can tell you that his, from what you've said, he's consistent with what I recall being said at the time. Tony, as we know, is then sentenced to life in prison. Since being incarcerated, he's made a number of appeals and attempts to get his case re-looked at. In 2017, the Michigan Court of Appeals refused to overturn his conviction stating circumstantial and firearms evidence present at the trial was enough to show beyond reasonable doubt that Tony had been at Ron's house that night. The Court of Appeals acknowledged the fact that no witness placed Tony at the home or actually saw him steal Ron's money. However, it says reasonable inferences from Tony's apparent failed alibi, forensic evidence suggesting he had been at the home with his gun, and the apparent statement he made that he would kill Ron for money was sufficient to demonstrate his guilt beyond reasonable doubt. So what's left for Tony? Well, we spoke about this the other evening. So, I mean, talking about... I know, you know, you've, you've put appeals through and things. Um, what, what appeals have you got left? Uh, I don't know. I'm done appealing. I'm waiting on a decision. And after that, I'm done. Uh, so... Federal habeas corpus is filed. The state filed the Rule 5 material, which is transcripts and everything. Mm. Everything from the state level. To my knowledge, it is before the judge and the magistrate. I'm not quite sure how all that takes place. Uh, but it's, it's in their hands and it's in, it's in God's hands. I'm not, I'm not stressing over it. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I feel I'm where I'm supposed to be at this moment. And I may not like it, but I'm, I accept it. And I can see a better tomorrow. Might be hard at times, but uh, I do have something to hope for. And it's bright. It's light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what I used to get through my darkest hour. Yeah. Uh, it is what it is. So we use our time wisely because tomorrow isn't promised. I don't really put much thought into the court case and appeals any longer because yeah. I uh, I really stopped. I wasn't going to file anything anymore, and uh, somebody sparked a fire under my rear end and persuaded me with love to at least try. <clears throat> so I opened the law books and tried and put the motion and everything together and obtained and got an attorney, which was a blessing. And it's all over with and done with. It's, I gave it to God. I prayed over what I did, prayed for God to move the hands and the hearts of all involved. And I've got faith it'll work out. So I'm not going to take from that. 
believe that you will receive what you ask. You'll receive it. Throughout my conversations with Tony, he's begun to open up more and more. From his initial wariness of me and my intentions with his story, to now someone who will crack the occasional joke and tell me some amusing stories from the place he now resides. For instance, the other day I got a message from Tony while I was out that read, Hey, you around? He then called me to inform me he'd been working on a little project. For a little background, Tony has told me in the past that he's always enjoyed cooking. In fact, he cooks in the prison. He says it's a way that he can at least attempt to make the food a bit more edible. However, it would appear he also does this from his cell. Now, a word of warning, I know throughout Tony's story the audio has been a bit tricky at times. And, well, the day he called me to chat about this new venture, well, yet again, phones were playing up. But I do want to share this because I believe it shows another side of the man from Michigan sentenced to life for murder. I was wondering, actually, I was thinking, um, do you have a way to accept money? Do I have a way to accept money? Yes, I got a... My cookbook's going to be printed and published here the next week or so. Uh, a way to help you raise funds or whatever to continue doing the good stuff that you do. Anyone who would donate to you, any donation can get a book. Oh, you, you're just full of surprises, Mr. Duke. You really are. I'm just me. <laughs> How, how have you managed to put a cookbook together inside prison? Well, when you read it, you don't know the answer to that. <laughs> well, I mean, I do. I hope you that I can't have no spoilers uh, out there. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I created every single recipe in there, mm-hmm. and I made everything in it in level four in a cell with a stinger. Uh, it's all created off of store goods, literally extremely genetically modified from processed goods uh, to to make such a culinary delight as of what you might get at a restaurant. The prison's answer to Martha Stewart. No, I'm just Duke. Yeah, well, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to this cookbook now, Duke. You've got me excited over this cookbook. I can't wait to, uh, to see it and try out some of these recipes. Yeah, they are. Uh... You might like it. I feel like we might have to adjust uh, some of the recipes for the Australian audience, my friend, because I doubt what you can get in the store uh, we will be able to get access to. So we might have to look at an Australian version. Well, I'm sure we could uh, find a conversion. I believe there'll be uh, like an itemized store list at the back of the book for like something that we would order store from. So it gives a sort of descriptive, detailed itemized list what it is and the ounces it is and the price. How do you cook in your in your cell? With a stinger. It's something we make out of extension cords. Uh, well, actually, in fingernail clippers. The best way to do it is to break a pair of fingernail clippers in two, stick one end in each of the little holes at the end of an extension cord, positive and negative, and drop it in a, a bowl of salt water. That way, when you're done with it, you can just pull the the fingernail clipper part out of the extension cord and you don't have contraband lying around yourself. Sounds Most people cut an extension cord mm. and wrap it up. It's contraband. Yeah, you can get put in a hole for it. Uh, just depending where you're at, they really don't care because you're in yourself for 24 hours a day. 
I mean, I literally used to have mine just sitting under the, the socket, hanging out of a bowl of salt water. I don't want to question your abilities there, but it sounds, I mean, it sounds a little bit dangerous. Desperate? Dangerous. Oh, dangerous? I mean, you know, it makes you stand on your toes when you uh, stick your finger in there too far, <laughs> or don't have it wrapped up quite good enough. Uh, I watched a guy hang on to one and plug it in. And he just sat there and smiled. I was bunky, like, let go of it, let go of it. I said, dude, you're sending 120 volts into his body. You can't let go of it. You got to unplug it. <laughs> oh, my God. Did he survive that incident? Oh, yeah. yeah, he survived. Yeah, right. And he actually did it again. He actually did it again not too long after that. For a shot of coffee. The I things mean, that people will do for coffee, I suppose. I've seen them snort a line of chili powder. It's like pepper spray. You can't even do it. Like, I tried to pay a guy to stop and not do it one time, and he still <laughs> attempted to do it. I said, what is wrong with you? My man of my word, I'm, gonna, I'm like, no, dude, you can't do it. suppose you got to find some way to pass the time. I mean, can't help but laugh, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It's a, a comprehensive work of art. It's a comprehensive work of and art. Con. Oh, con. Uh, I see what you're doing. You have one minute remaining. So, look out for Tony's cookbook coming soon. This is Tony Duke's story for now. But I can assure you, this is not where we will leave it. I believe there's still far too many unanswered questions when it comes to this case, and I will continue to seek the answers. So Tony's story is not one that garnered much publicity at all, apart from a bit of coverage in a local newspaper. However, our next story went somewhat viral. This is a prepaid collect call from... Jason Vukovic. An incarcerated individual at Goose Creek Correctional Centre... In fact, it was more so an image of Jason and his brother in court that sent the internet crazy and saw Jason get a nickname. Yeah, I think they started referring to me as the Alaskan Avenger. Coming up, the true story of the Alaskan Avenger from the man himself. A story that has to be heard to be believed. And he opened his front door. And when he opened his front door, I literally just walked right past him into into his apartment or into his fourplex and said, come on, man, come on. And he followed me inside. And uh, I brought him downstairs and sat him on his own bed, um, just proceeded to open hand, backhand, slap him, and he fell back on the bed a couple of times. I just did my absolute best, um, you know, to use corporal uh, punishment and to reinforce to him that he was not to see that baby ever again, et cetera, et cetera. And then if I heard that he was seeing her again, I was going to come back and visit him again. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.